about today's sermon. I'm always excited, I am. But uh, just in a special way, God has um, just ignited a fire in my heart for what he has to teach us today. Uh, if you were here last week, we're going through the book of Colossians, uh, the book of Colossians, and we went through the uh, introduction last week. Um, this week, we're actually going to do Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're, you're welcome to. Colossians 1, 3 through 8. And this will actually be the second time we'll study this passage in my very few <laughs> sermons with you. But I felt like we so briefly covered uh, this text last time that I wanted to hit it again. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, I, I don't want to be too much of a downer today, but I want to set up this sermon this way. Life is hard. I'm not saying that there aren't blessings and that the sunshine out there isn't beautiful and the fact that I can wear flannel because it's becoming fall isn't a wonderful thing. It's true, but life is hard. Because if you think about it, we have natural disasters. Th those are all over the news right now and all on our hearts right now as we think of Houston and Florida and just all the destruction there. We have sickness. I, I, there's not a person in this room that sickness and disease has not touched your life. You think about uh, the, the, the corruption in this world. We, we can't really trust our, our businesses the way we'd like. We can't really trust our government the way that we would like. You think about strained relationships. You know, we, we want to have good relationships, but they're always strained. You think of the pressures in our lives, the sorrows in our lives, the grief in our lives, and then, of course, death. Things are not as they should be. The Genesis 3 curse is upon us. Life is hard, and people are desperately in need of good news. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I set it up on a, on a low note, but today we're going to be talking about what is that good news? What is that good news for people? What is it that everyone needs to hear, needs to have? You may know this, but the word gospel in the Bible, in the Greek, euangelion, actually literally means good news. You have you, which means good, and then you have angelion, which is messenger or message. Euangelion, the, the good message. That's what the gospel is. And so today, what I want to show you from Colossians is why the gospel is such good news. It is actually not just good news. It is the exact good news that the whole world needs to hear. It was good news almost 2,000 years ago when this letter was written, and it is good news today. So as we do that, I also want to show you the path of God's gospel. So, so how is it that this good news, that this gospel reaches out to people? What does that look like when, when they hear the gospel? What, what goes on there? And then, of course, being news, how does it spread? What is the path of God's gospel? But what I really want to do as we look at that path is I want you to see the gospel, and I want you to love it more from looking at these verses today. I want you to have more of a passion, more gratitude, more of a desire to be involved in the spread of this gospel. That's what I want to do from Colossians today. So I'm going to, uh, to read the passage to you, then, then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll study it a, a little further. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. This is God's word. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we feel the weight of sin each day. God, we feel the ways that it has broken this world, the way it has, uh, in many ways, broken people. And God, we're just so thankful for the good news of the gospel. Lord, would you shine a light on your gospel today and help us to see the path that it takes and why it is such good news for all of us, for everyone God, would you do these things in our hearts today? I pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. So we've, we've read those verses, but now we're going to go a little more slowly through it, and we'll be looking at, again, the path of the gospel and why the gospel is such good news. So without any further ado, number one in your notes, the gospel is good news because, number one, the gospel is received by faith, not by works. The gospel is received by faith, not by works. I'm going to read uh, verses 3 and 4 real quick, and then we'll, then we'll think about what's going on here. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul, again, is thankful. He's very thankful for this thing in the Colossian church, and that thing is faith in Christ Jesus. We know he he doesn't actually say here, he says further down um, in Colossians, but that this faith equals their salvation. This faith in Christ Jesus is what gives them eternal life. You know, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, you are saved by grace through faith. Yes, so that's what we are working with here is this faith. So what I want to talk about, if salvation were based on works, I don't know about you, but I would be in big, big trouble. Salvation would would not be good news. Rather, it would be exhausting. Because I try, even as a a saved person, and I still fell. not, Not only would it be exhausting, it would be impossible if salvation were by works. It would be impossible. You know, I remember, uh, just to kind of explain this, I remember when God first started to convict me of sin. There was this whole new understanding of, whoa, I've sinned against the God of the universe. His wrath is upon me. So you know what I did? I I decided, okay, I'll stop sinning. That's what I'll do. I'll I'll get God back on my side. If you've lived uh, very long in this world, you know that that did not work out very well for me. I could not stop sinning. It was a compulsion that I had to continue sinning, and I was terrified. I'm not kidding. I I was terrified when I realized that I could not fix myself, that I could not earn God's favor. Another example, uh, you might know uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer. 
He, before he became the, the great leader of the Protestant Reformation, was actually a monk in the Roman Catholic Church. And he was a, a great monk, but he was a miserable monk. He, he was a great monk in that he, he knew the rules of the Bible, he knew the rules of the monastery, and he kept them very well. But he was a miserable monk because he knew the rules, but he couldn't keep them perfectly. And he knew, I, I can't keep these rules, I can't do what the Bible says, how could God forgive me? And he was right. If salvation were by works, he, he was in big trouble. And so he was miserable. It was not until he was reading the Bible for himself, not just being taught it, reading it for himself, that he saw, wait a second, salvation isn't the way I've been learning. It's not by works, it's not by ceremony, it's not by asceticism, but by faith. That God gives me this alien righteousness, this foreign righteousness by faith. And he saw that that was incredibly good news. That he didn't have to work for his salvation because he could not. It is incredibly good news that faith is not by works. That is one of our, our beautiful aspects of the gospel. So we don't work for our salvation. We don't uh, change our actions so that God will love us. But what I don't want to impress upon you is that faith in Christ does not result in changed actions. I don't want to say that. See, if the gospel only, only changes my mind, puts this faith in this salvation, you know, but it doesn't change me, then it's not all that good of news. <laughs> If the gospel doesn't change me, it's not that good of news. I'm going to give you two reasons why the gospel, to me, would not be very good news if it didn't change me. Number one, I don't like the old me. I don't like making a mockery of God with my life, with the things that I do. I don't like uh, looking for joy, but finding that all these paths that I'm taking are empty. I, I don't like that. I don't like the old me. That's my first reason. My second reason you wouldn't have liked me either. <laughs> and, and now think about this. You would have to spend eternity with me, a sinner, rebellion. You, know, do all, you would have to spend eternity with me. You don't even want to do church with me in an unredeemed, unbeing, changed state. The gospel would not be good news if it did not change us. But that's the second point um, in this sermon. The gospel is good news because, number two, the gospel produces hope and love. The gospel produces hope and love. This is real change, actual change for those with faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul says in verse 4, he says, I, I thank God that I've heard of your faith, and then in, in your outline, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And he says again there in verse 8, Epaphras has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So we have this, this faith with this love from this hope. And what I want you to see there is the relationship between these, these changes. We see that the gospel, he, the hearing this gospel, produces faith. And this faith produces hope. And then hope produces love. You see that there in the verse. It says, you have this love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, hope, what is that? Hope in biblical terms is not wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation of a future reality. 
a confident expectation of what will be. And it says there that this hope is laid up for them in heaven. Now, I I had written in a uh, former version of this sermon uh, all of what our hope is, what that contains, how great heaven will be, but I can't do that today. (laughs) Too much time. And so I just want to say, suffice it to say, whatever you imagine about heaven, the real thing is going to blow it away. Presence of God, fullness of joy for eternity as children of God The hope you have laid up for you in heaven is better than you could ever imagine. Now, for the Colossian church, and really should be for all believers, this hope, this confident expectation of what they have laid up for them them in heaven was so satisfying that it freed them to sacrifice for others. It freed them to serve God with all of their lives. See, when you know that you have awaiting you everything you could ever want, you don't have to be so worried about other people or situations taking anything away from you. You've got it for eternity. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the type of hope that we have. That's the type of hope that allows us to choose suffering in this life. Let me give you an example of this. Um, You might remember Zacchaeus from Luke 19. I don't know how best to describe him. You might say he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. If you grew up with children's songs, you know what I'm talking about. He, he, He was following Jesus. He was listening to Jesus, and he was a rich tax collector. Again, we can't go too far down this road, but if you know anything about tax collectors, they were big sinners in the eyes of the Jews. So this rich, rich tax collector is, is watching Jesus, following Jesus, and Jesus calls him out. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. I'm going to hang out with you. And in that moment, after hearing what Jesus had to say about the gospel, about the kingdom, about forgiveness, Zacchaeus became a believer. He received this hope that was laid up for him. You know what Zacchaeus did? He didn't just go join a Bible study. What he did was he said, you know what? I'm giving away half of all my possessions to the poor. I don't need it. You know, I've defrauded a lot of people with this tax collecting. Anyone who I've defrauded, I will pay them back fourfold what I took from them. I don't need it. Now, that was going to be a big lifestyle change for Zacchaeus. It really would. Why was he willing to do that? He knew he had everything he could ever want eternally. And that fueled this change. That fueled this choosing of sacrifice. Jesus didn't even tell him to do those things. He said, I choose to do these things. That is what hope does in the believer. When we see what we have, we don't need the things of this world. That is good news, guys. Do you, are, you, are you tired of chasing the, the, the trinkets, the toys, the, the momentary pleasures of this world? If you're tired of it, you don't have to do it. You, you don't need the things of this world. Are you, are you tired of being unwilling to make the sacrifices necessary to make a difference in this world? You don't have to be. You can, you can make those sacrifices knowing that you have all the world, true life, eternal life, 
awaiting you. That is what hope does for the believer, and that's what it had done for the Colossians. He had heard of the love they had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Faith, this this true faith that results in salvation, produces hope that produces changed actions. It produces love. That is good news. God doesn't just take our minds and then leave our actions to ourselves. He changes all of us. He makes us new. That is good news. So, faith not by works. It it brings real change into our lives. The next reason the gospel is good news is number three in your notes. The gospel is truth. The gospel is truth. Paul says in the second half of verse 5, he says, Of this, and he's speaking of the hope that they have in heaven, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The word of truth, the gospel. See, we may all struggle with our faith in, in some seasons in our life. I know that I have. You know, I've thought, what if this is all a lie? What if I've staked my life on this, 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 this belief, what if it's not true? What if I'm, I'm just crazy? Now, what I want to tell you there, and we'll get further, is anytime that happens, take heart. You have staked your life. You have trusted in not just some form of the truth, not somewhat true, but the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But the beauty is, people do come to the Father through Jesus. He is the door we talked about uh, that, that Sonny did in that beginning thing. Jesus is the truth. And so I, I told you, there have been several times in my life that I have struggled with certain things that I read in the Bible. I'd read it and I'd say, man, I don't know that I really like that. That doesn't sound like a good God. Man, I see a, maybe a contradiction here. I, I don't know what I think about that. You know, and these things plague me. Uh, I, I can't just let these things go. And so, you know what I would do? I would, I would pray. I'd say, God, I'm going to need you on this one. Uh, you tell me that you're good. I, I believe that you're good. Show me that you're good. So I'd pray, and then I would search Scripture. I, I would turn stones over And sometimes it honestly gets a little scarier for a moment as you learn new things about the Bible. But each and every time, the Bible was confirmed to me as being 100% true. Each and every time. We're talking, I've done this a lot of times. The more I study, the more I say, wait, wait, wait. And I've got to line it back up. Each and every time, God has shown me the truth and my faith has been strengthened. So I want to tell you, anytime you're struggling with your faith, it's okay it's okay, uh, but I would say don't, don't just push it to the side. Search it out. Pray. Search in, in the Bible. Ask wise counselors around you. Now, I would say this. Be careful. Don't, don't be the person who's always looking to trap or trip up God. If you, if you go in the scriptures that way, God is probably not going to bless it. But if you go into it saying, God, I have faith, but I need you to give me more faith, he will do it. But let me give you two helps, things that have been helpful for me uh, at some level. Uh, again, I've, it's a, a lot deeper than this, uh, but two things that have been helpful for me in seeing the truth of the Bible and the truth of the gospel. First, you have empirical evidence. This is usually something that the naturalist uses. This, we, we test it, we, we look, we try to figure it out. But empirical evidence. 
Uh, so one example is you have historians and archaeologists. You may be aware of this. Historians and archaeologists time and time again uh, have said, oh, that can't be true in the Bible because our archaeology does not support it. Oh, that can't be true in the Bible because these historical records don't support it. But time and time and time again, as they have done more digging, as they have found more historical records, they have found that it was their history, their archaeology that was wrong, not the Bible. The Bible is telling the truth the entire time. People have said that there weren't Jews in Egypt, and yet they find these things. It's like, hmm, that's weird that that's written in Hebrew. They're they're just these things. It happens time and time again. Now, another form of empirical evidence— prophecies. There are biblical scrolls, you can think of the the Dead Sea Scrolls, that were written hundreds of years before these prophecies were fulfilled. And so they've, they've found these scrolls, they've dated them, and they say, well, that's weird that these scrolls talk about something with details that didn't happen for hundreds of years later. I mean, that, that's pretty good empirical evidence that they have— I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled later. They have found scrolls that were dated to have been written before these prophecies were fulfilled. The greatest prophecy of these, and our only hope of glory, by the way, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we, we again, don't have too much time to go into it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about this. He says, we have this word, it's, it's been fulfilled, and I, I'm not just saying this, this wasn't just a vision, this is something that, that myself and over 500 eyewitnesses saw. And not just 500 eyewitnesses, but eyewitnesses that were alive when he was writing the book of, of Corinthians and, and all these other books, they would have said, no, 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 that's not true. Again, you think of Luke, our friend Luke, he wrote Luke and Acts. He went around for his master, Theophilus, interviewing people. That's where we get the book of Luke and Acts. People really saw the resurrected Jesus Christ after he had really been hung on a cross. He had really had a spear go on his side. He really had no bones broken, all things that were prophesied. On the third day, Jesus rose again. That is pretty good empirical evidence. Now, there's, there's another form of evidence that's been helpful for me, uh, just in times that I'm, I'm weak with my faith is experiential evidence. Now, I want to be careful here, but I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Experiential evidence. It's all right. We Christians are allowed to experience things. First, God the Spirit has helped me as I am reading the Bible to read it as truth. I mean, I can remember still the time when that light bulb clicked, that I had learned verses all my life, and one day I'm reading the Bible, and I'm just like, Oh, wow. This is kind of going on the same time as that conviction thing, by the way, <laughs> um, that I'm saying, wow, this is all true. Oh, wow, I'm a sinner. Oh, wow. And, and the, the snowball was going on there. God, the Spirit, made me see that the Bible was true. Secondly, as I trusted in Christ by faith, God, the Spirit, made me feel as though I were a child of God. Romans 8 talks about that. The Spirit bear, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I, I felt that. Also, he's made me see the changes in my life. And by that I mean I I do things that I would have never imagined myself doing were it not for the power and grace of God. And I don't do things that I could never imagine me not doing if it weren't for the grace of God. God has brought real supernatural change in my life. I had one more. What was it? Oh, yeah. Prayer. 
Pray, guys. If you want your faith to be strengthened, pray and watch God. I have seen God do miraculous things in my life as I have prayed to him. Now again, I do not base my faith on this experience, but the fact is, because the gospel is true, I have had these experiences. Because the gospel is truth embodied, Jesus is truth embodied, that has changed everything. That has made this empirical evidence make sense. That has made this experiential evidence make sense in my life. The gospel is true. Now what does that mean? What does that mean for us that the gospel is truth? What it means for me is you don't have to hedge your bets. You can go all in with your life. You don't have to hold anything back because this is 100% truth. There is no other way. You don't need a plan B in your life. You can go all in because the gospel is truth. You have an amazing hope of glory awaiting you, not because of your works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You can pursue Jesus, you can obey Jesus, you can serve Jesus, you can enjoy Jesus with everything you've got because the gospel is truth. Folks, that is good news, that we have the truth. Not that we are some elite class, but that God has revealed the truth to us. Now, the the next point kind of goes along with, with that, that we're not some elite class. Number four... The gospel is good news because the gospel bears fruit wherever preached. The gospel bears fruit wherever preached. We see this in verse 6. Paul says, he's talking about the gospel. He says, that the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Now did you know that even in Paul's day, The gospel was not just this this little idea. The gospel was spreading. And not only was it being heard, it was bearing fruit. A.K.A. there were Christians, there were converts all over the known world, even in Paul's day. Now, the reason that that's important is there are many religions, ideologies, philosophies, political persuasions, so-called good news, what they believe to be good news— that is limited. It's, it's restrained by, by relatively unimportant factors. Uh, you could think of this. Okay, this is good news for you if you happen to be fill in the blank. If you happen to be of this race, this is good news for you. If your skin happens to be this color, this is good news for you. If you happen to be this gender, if you happen to live in this geographical location— If you speak this language, this is good news for you. There are a lot of ideologies, religions, and philosophies that are like that. But those could hardly be called good news. My thinking is, if it's only relevant for a small group of people, it's probably completely irrelevant. If it's only this good news, and it has this limited dimension— it's probably not the truth. It is most likely, and and we understand them to be cults, But the good news of the gospel does not have these limitations. The good news of the gospel is universal. Now, I understand that that's a bad buzzword. Let me explain. The gospel must be accepted by faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But that gospel offer is universal in its application. 
That means all peoples, all races, all colors, all languages, all genders have this gospel call. It is not limited by these things that so many others are. Not only is the gospel offer universal, but we understand from Scripture in several places that this gospel offer will be received. It will bear fruit in all these different cultures and peoples. Let me just read one passage real quick. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. There John says in his heavenly vision, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Those are redeemed believers. Let me read that again. Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is amazing. People from every people group will be in heaven. Now this is good news for, for many reasons. Uh, just, I'll just give you a couple. First, this is good news because it means there is hope for everyone. I, I don't have the, the ability to look at anyone and say, no, there is no hope for you because of this. There's no hope for you because your skin color is different from me. There's no hope for you because of your economic class. There's no hope for you because of the language you speak. There's always hope for people. That is good news. The second reason that's good news is the fact that God will be worshipped by people from every culture, tribe, nation, people group is a testimony to the universal beauty and glory and majesty of God. We serve a big God. Look, I don't want to serve this small God that is only worthy of worship by people like me. You know, that people that look and talk and act like me, uh, he's our God, other people have their God. I've got a big God. Every people group, every language, every ethnicity, culture sees this very same God as worthy of all honor and glory and power and praise. They all see it because it is objectively true that he is beautiful. He is glorious. He is worthy of these things. That is good news. It will bear fruit everywhere it is preached. But the question remains— if, if people from every people group, every language and culture are going to trust in the gospel, how are they going to hear about it? How, how, are, how are these people from, what was it, Laos? Is that right? Yeah, how are they going to hear? Now, I'm going to make it a little more concrete because we like to think about people that we'd have to take, you know, three planes to get to and then take a paddle boat. Like, we like to think about that. Oh, that'd be, what about your neighbor? How are they going to trust in Jesus? How, how, how is fruit going to be born in their life? What about your coworkers? What about your family members? What about your friends? How is that going to happen? That is the next reason the gospel is good news. Number five, the gospel is good news because the gospel is carried by people. The gospel is carried by people. This gets a little confusing in your notes. Uh, five Oh yeah, I guess 4, 5, uh, and 6 are all, all from those verses below 6 in your notes. But in the middle of verse 6, he's talking about the gospel bearing fruit and growing, and he says, as it also does among you since the day you heard it. 
So, so they heard the gospel. The Colossian church has this faith, has this hope, has this love because they heard the gospel. Now the question is, how did they hear it? Was there some heavenly megaphone that kind of, you know, they're walking along and just, wait a second, I think I hear good news right now. Did, did an angel appear to them? And, and go to each one and say, Here, here's the gospel message. Here's what Jesus has done for you. Is that how it worked? Well, it tells, tells us in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. There it is. They heard the gospel, and they heard it from a person, from a believer. This is how God works. This is how God carries the message of the gospel. Let me show you this in, in more stark terms. Romans 10, <clears throat> uh, starting in verse 13, so you can just listen with me. It says there, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there's a problem. Verse 14, How then will they call on, on him of whom they have not believed? They have to call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. How will they call on him if they haven't believed? It goes on to say, And how are they to believe of him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or teaching or sharing the gospel? People must call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, but people must hear about Jesus to be saved. And that's our role. That is what we are to do. Now, I'll give you uh, just another 2 Corinthians 5. This talks about, well, is it those evangelists that go do this? You know, they're the ones who share the gospel. Is it preachers like Jeff who have gone to seminary, you know, and been ordained? Are they the ones who are supposed to share the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So here it's talking about anyone who's in Christ. That's a Christian, that they're a new creation. In verse 18, he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you are a new creation, if you are a Christian, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. But you might say, well, what does that look like, ministry of reconciliation? He goes on, verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. It doesn't get any more plain. If you are a new creation, if you are a Christian, you have the message of reconciliation. You are the, the, the vessel, the jar of clay that God wants to use. If you have, have received the mark of Christian, you have also received the mark of ambassador. That's what we have here. We have a job. We are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. Now, I know that sounds intimidating, and that sounds like I'm putting this pressure on you. Let me tell you why that's good news. Here's why that is good news. You never have to wonder if someone will share the gospel with that person at work. Who's going to do it? Oh, I wish someone would share the gospel with them. You never have to wonder that. You never have to wonder who is going to reach your estranged brother or, or, or cousin or whatever. 
you never have to wonder that. You know why? Because you have been given the authority. You have been given the, the, the title. You're a co-worker of God to reach these people. That means your neighbor across the street, you have been given this authority to go reach them with the gospel. You never have to wonder who's going to do it. Man, I wish someone would tell them the gospel. That's not Christians. We say, I'm going to go tell them the gospel because that's what God has told me to do. All power under heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, Jesus said. He has the authority. He gives it to us. We never have to just wish it. We never have to wish it. That is good news. You never have to worry about who's going to reach the nations. We, we be a part of it. We go for it. We are a part of what God does. You know, there are people within one mile of this church who do not have the true good news. They may be sleeping in. They may be watching TV right now. They may be out mowing their yard. They don't have the good news. There are people within 100 feet of your house who do not have good news. Some of you might have a lot of property. I know we're in Ringgold, but, you know, you get the idea. Within 100 feet of your house, there are people who do not have the good news, who God's wrath will remain upon them. There are people probably within 10 feet from where you work each day who do not have the good news. But the good news for us, the good news of the gospel, is that God has not only saved us, he has made us ambassadors. We can share it with these people within a mile of here. We can share it with those people 100 feet from your house and 10 feet from your workplace and at the grocery store and, and family members. We get to share it. It's good news that we carry the gospel. We never have to wonder. But what's God's role in all of this, Right? Does God just leave us to try to convert other people as though that were something we were capable of doing? No, God, God would never do that, and, and we could never do that. Thankfully, number six in your notes, the gospel is also good news because the gospel is empowered by God. The gospel is empowered by God. It's carried by men. That's our business, but it's empowered by God. That's his business. Paul says in the second half of verse 6, he's talking about the gospel. He says, It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it. That, that's, it was shared to them, carried by a person. And understood the grace of God in truth. They understood the grace of God in truth. So I think Paul is making an interesting distinction here in these verses. He says, They, they heard the gospel from a person, someone proclaimed the gospel to them, shared the gospel to them, they heard it, but then he goes on to say, and they understood the grace of God in truth. So there seems to be some distinction between hearing and understanding the gospel as true. Now, it really isn't too readily apparent in this passage, but if we look more at Paul, he, he certainly draws a distinction between hearing and understanding in his other letters. We'll look negatively in Romans chapter 1 as it's talking about the rebellion of mankind. It says, For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So the idea here is, when people chose sin over God, they became fools. 
we as mankind became fools. Our, our hearts were darkened. Uh, our, our, our minds became futile. We became fools. So when these people, the human race, hear the gospel news, we are so darkened by sin. Our eyes are so blurred by, by, by sensuality, by, by our own desires against God, that we reject the gospel as though it were not good news. The Bible says the light came into the world, but the men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. Loved darkness because their deeds were evil. Blinded by sin. That's what Paul says uh, about people understanding. But on the positive side, <clears throat> we, we can see in uh, 1 Thessalonians, this is one of my favorite passages um, talking about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, so they not only heard it, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's God bringing understanding. That's, that's God's grace as it is unveiling their blinded minds. They're seeing, finally, God's great gift of grace in the gospel. And they, they even see it as a word from God. It says uh, in chapter 2, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians, he said, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as word of men, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. This is beautiful. Paul and the, these other people are sharing the gospel. They're carrying it to these people. But God is the one bringing it in, in full power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. God brings understanding. God unveils the eyes. God removes the blinders of sin to see the glory of God in the gospel. That is a beautiful truth that God does this. I'll give you just one more example. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says of Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. This is God's work. This is beautiful. But there is a big difference. We need to remember there's a big difference between just hearing the gospel and understanding it as truth. There's a big difference between hearing the gospel and thinking of its, its words of men, philosophy of men, or the, the, the true word of God. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between seeing the gospel as a good idea and seeing it as the only truth, the only idea, the most precious thing that could ever be heard. And the difference is the powerful working of God. God takes a rebel with a, a futile mind, a darkened heart, and he clears away the fog of contempt that they have for the truth, for the light, and for righteousness. See, this is good news for us, guys. This is good news because I cannot change a sinner's heart, but God can. I can take great confidence. You can take great confidence each time you share the gospel because God is in the business of changing hearts, of opening blind eyes and deaf ears. God is in that business. You say, uh, maybe he's talking to other people in this auditorium. There are probably people who are a little better at sharing the gospel. No, I'm not. You are, if you're a Christian, you are an ambassador. God will empower you. I'm not worried about your skills. You shouldn't be either. You can try to brush up on them, sure, but it is God who empowers his word. Now, 
I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird. I'm not too worried about it, I guess people know. I have shared the gospel with people who one time have laughed at me as I shared the gospel, and the very next time they're bawling. That's the power of God. Do not be disheartened by the way people respond. Do not be disheartened by the lack of belief. Because when God comes in, he, he, he comes in hard. He comes in and he changes hearts. And this is good news. You think of Paul. The guy was persecuting the church. Our author here was persecuting the church. But when Jesus came in, he changed his heart. This is all good news. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the path the gospel takes. But the question is, where does that leave us, Poplar Springs? Where does it leave us that, that salvation's path is by faith rather than works? It, it brings this hope that, that results in radically different lives. There's this universal call of the gospel that we can share with confidence that God can change a heart. We've seen the beauty, the depth, the beauty of the gospel. I don't have to work for my salvation, and neither do you. God doesn't leave me in my old state. He changes me with this beautiful hope. God not only changes me, but he makes me an ambassador to share and carry the, the gospel, and then he empowers that same message. What do we do with that? I've got two suggestions for you. Here's, here's what I believe we, we do with this. Some of you may need to trust in Christ by faith for the first time. This is truth. This is the most beautiful, the, the most wonderful, good news imaginable. It is true, and it is powerful. You can trust in Jesus by faith. He can make your sins as white as snow. God can give you a new life. If you would trust in him, give him your old life. Let him give you new and eternal life. Now, some of us, we, we've trusted in Christ, but you know what we need? We need to be more intentional about our lives with Jesus. More intentional. You know, we, we, we float through life. I do this too. I'm speaking to myself just as much. We need to be more intentional about thinking on our hope in heaven so that our lives can be changed that we don't hold on to the, the little pleasures we have so tightly that we're unwilling to sacrifice them. We need to be more intentional about that. And we need to be more intentional about taking seriously this, this ambassadorship, the fact that we carry the gospel. We need to be more intentional. So I'm going to give you some very plain advice. Make a plan. Make a plan. I plan for so many things in life. If I'm going to go on a camping trip, I might make a list Okay, I need to bring water, I need to bring food, a sleeping bag, a tent, you know, maybe a chair to sit on. I plan ahead when I do things. What about when we share the gospel? So I'm just telling you, make a plan. You will multiply the possibility that you will actually share the gospel if you think it through and make a plan. Who is it that I need to share the gospel with? Who do I come in contact with? Who can I come in contact with if I even make that happen? How am I going to come in contact with an unbeliever or a straying believer? Now, what conversations might I get in with this person? If you're a guy, you're most likely going to talk about football. So, how am I going to take football and turn that into a gospel conversation. What am I going to do? Plan ahead. Write it down. Talk it through with a friend or your spouse. Talk it through. Plan these things. Okay, next time I, I meet for that play date, how am I going to talk to the mother about, about Christ? 
The next time I, I go play golf with these friends, how am I going to talk to them about Christ? How am I going to turn that conversation? Make a plan. Practice it. Pray through it. I'm telling you guys, intentionality is so much of what we lack. But when, again, we see the hope of the gospel, the goodness of God's grace by giving this salvation by faith, we are freed to, to, to go all in, to be intentional, to sacrifice what we might have done on Saturday so that we can go share the gospel, to get uncomfortable and step out of our house and go across the street and share the gospel. This is what the gospel does. It is such good news that it brings actual change in our lives and it reaches out into the lives of others. That's what we can do. Trust in Christ by faith if you have not already. The gospel is good news. It is the only good news. Be intentional about your life with Christ. It is good news. Take, take part in it. Don't just have this good news and leave it to the side. It is good news that you can take a part in. Blessed are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Father God, we have heard in your word a transformation that you did in the life of these Colossian believers. God, we've heard about what you did in Epaphras, the way he heard the gospel and then took it to these Colossian believers. He, he shared it, they learned it. God, we've heard the way you empowered the gospel so that they could understand it. God, help us. Help us to see with a confident expectation the hope that we have in you, that it frees us to give up everything to serve you and enjoy you, God. God, let us be intentional about serving you. Let us be intentional about putting sin to death. Let us be intentional about looking at the hope you've given us. And let us be intentional about sharing this good news you have entrusted to us, God. This is good. Jesus said in, in John uh, 5.15 that, that we read earlier, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's what the gospel is, God. It is the path to you and the path to fullness of joy, God. Let us walk in that all in. God, let us go all in. I pray these things loving you and thanking you for the good news of the gospel, knowing that we are undeserving of it. In your son's name, amen.